Welcome to Steady Chatting, the podcast. I'm your host, Charlie. This is episode number 13, and we'll be talking about superstition, aboriginals in Canadian prisons, the prison industrial complex, and how you consume your cannabis. We'll be hearing music from Stevie Wonder, Dead Prez, listening to a snip of a speech from Angela Davis and Cypress Hill. On this channel, you can expect to get content on cannabis, growing, product reviews, interviews, interesting news, discussions, music, and whatever you like. Let us at Steady Snap and Productions know what you'd like to hear on future podcasts so that we can keep giving you what you want and what you need. Join in the conversation. If you're a visitor or just checking this podcast out for the first time, don't forget to subscribe to get more content. Now, let's get this started. All right, so with this being the 13th episode of Steady Chatting, the podcast, I felt with a lot of people walking around still with superstitious belief, maybe we should iron that out a bit, find out what is superstition, um, what's the difference between um, spirituality and superstition, and um, then just my general take on the practice. So based on the definition in the dictionary, Superstition is an excessively credulous belief in a reverence for supernatural beings or a widely held but unjustified belief in supernatural causation leading to certain consequences of an action or event or a practice based on such a belief. So that leads me into asking, for those people who don't um, practice any spiritual practice, um, but look at the acts that Christ has participated. Some are fair to question what's the difference between Christianity and superstition. I mean, Christ had supernatural powers. He was able to walk on water. He was able to feed the multitudes with one loaf of bread and some fish. He healed the sick and the blind and many other examples. Right? So what is the difference between Christ's superpowers or supernatural abilities and the general belief of superstition. Well, for those who believe that Christ is the Savior of the world and the Son of God, that would probably be the only thing that differentiates between superstition and spirituality when it comes to viewing Christ and Christianity. But let's talk about spirituality because there's obviously a difference between being religious and being spiritual. So from how I interpret it, being religious means you go through the motions. You go to church or you might pray. Um, But the actual practice of having that connection with God, I believe, is the difference between religion and spirituality. Many people could go and go through the motions of being a Christian but not be actually connected, not make any real strong um, connection with the creator. And so to me, that's where I find the difference between uh, religious practice and spiritual practice. But before spirituality was brought to Europe, Europeans believed in a whole lot of superstition. We all know the saying, step on a crack, break your mother's back. That's for sure superstition because there's many a cracks that we step on And sometimes people, because of these superstitions, try and jump over cracks when they're walking on sidewalks. I don't really know where that came from. 
We know about the idea of breaking a glass leads to seven years of bad luck. And when I did a little research, I found out that the reason why they used that term was because glass used to be really expensive in those times. So if you broke a glass, it would take you seven years of working to save up money to buy another one. But yet still, it could still be interpreted as superstition. You have people who say, don't pick up money if you see it on the street because it brings bad luck to your home. And I don't know whether that really qualifies as superstition because when it comes to people trying to get rid of hexes or negative energy, they sometimes will take a coin and the coin is dated um, the year that they were born and they will think of all of the negative things that they've been going through, take it to an intersection where two roads cross, and toss the coin or salt over their shoulder. And that's how they relieve themselves of the hex that may have been put on them. And if somebody else picks that coin up, well, they take on whatever was left back. Uh, so there is that. But the real reason why um, superstition was so profoundly practiced in European culture was because Europeans had no access to wisdom and true knowledge. Once that was shared with them um, and uh, spirituality was brought to Europe, then they had the ability to now um, live a life based on what they believed in the Bible. Um, and let's bring it to a contemporary time. We're in 2018. Now we have the Internet and we have access to information about anything that we could imagine. So we have evolved greatly from the time when superstition was a popular practice. Why is it still being practiced? So the topic of discussion right here is the prison industrial complex. And it's a very interesting subject because it just came to my attention. Um, a lot of people are oblivious that it exists. A lot of people have never heard of the term before. And it's something that we as African people or people of African descent have to deal with on a daily basis, depending on which neighborhoods you live in. If you live in more of an impoverished environment, you're policed harder and there's a reason for it. So I'll get into that. But I felt like as a black person in North America, um, that I was going to address it from that scope. Because in North America, many black people, whether it's male or females, they find themselves inside of these prison cells due to this prison industrial complex. But when I started doing some further investigation, I was finding a lot of articles. I found one particular from McGill University, which is a university out in Ontario, that speaks about Native women taking up a huge bulk of the prisoners in Canada's prison system. So I felt maybe for the first part of this segment, I'm going to touch on how the Canadian government and how the system has been designed to keep First Nations people at a disadvantage. Okay? Because, I mean, a disadvantage is a disadvantage. If you're unable to get ahead in life because the system which you live in and uphold has been designed to keep you down, 
there's no way that you're going to have a fair chance in being successful in this world. Despite the intention of the Canadian government creating residential schools to teach natives how to be Canadian, I'm sure deep down they knew very well that wasn't going to help at all. Because if we're being Canadian, we're allowed to be who we are. We don't have to conform to somebody else's belief. If you're native, you're native Canadian. If you're African, African Canadian. Asian, whether you're Chinese or Indian, it doesn't make you less Canadian. However, that's not the world that we really live in. So a lot of native women are finding themselves being locked up and serving longer sentences than other races. Um, and it's been said that Canada's prisons have become the new residential school. It's a justice system set against Aboriginal people. And for those who don't know what residential schools are, believe it or not, that practice of residential schools was where apartheid came from. The idea of apartheid was birthed from residential schools. Now, when I went to university at U of T, that was the first time in my life I ever heard of a residential school. I thought residential schools were schools that you go to in your residential area. And then I came to find out, after speaking with several survivors of these residential schools, this was a system that was created by the military and supported by the church and the Canadian government to kidnap First Nations people children specifically, and break up families, taking family members and dropping them off in various residential schools for the purpose of assimilation, meaning getting them to be Canadian. And they were tortured there, many were raped there. Uh, people lost more than their lives. To lose your culture is probably the worst thing that you could do because then you have no basis of who you are. If you're not allowed to speak your language, you're not allowed to practice your spirituality the way that you were raised, then what are you doing to keep yourself empowered throughout these daily battles with a system that's designed to destroy you? You know, it's a harsh reality. And unfortunately, they may have shut down majority of the residential schools, but the practice of assimilation, false assimilation, is still alive and kicking. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. All right, welcome back. So we're still on the topic of the prison industrial complex, and I just wanted to talk about the term rehabilitation because this is something that was... Uh, I had a conversation with the warden over at the prison there in Mimico in Ontario, uh, he brought up the fact that the, the, the term rehabilitation is a misnomer simply for the fact that um, society is under the belief that the people who are being incarcerated were habilitated to begin with, that they were actually taught the right way to function in life. And a lot of the times that's a misunderstanding. They were taught exactly what landed them in prison and they were taught that that's the way to go about life. You know, as being a, a young black man, I almost, me personally, I almost felt like going to prison was a rites of passage for me. To prove that I'm a man, I'd have to serve time. Fortunately, I haven't had to go through it. 
um, and I've maneuvered my way around that rites of passage to find out that it's nothing more than just a trap that's been designed. But uh, yeah, so the topic is prison industrial complex. And the idea of rehabilitation um, stands a huge factor in that because if the prisons aren't trying to rehabilitate the prisoners, then it's not serving the purpose that they uh, want people to believe. Now, in the beginning of the 2018, four members of the Senate Committee on Human Rights visited all the federal penitentiaries in the Atlantic region and in the East Coast Forensic Centers. And while there, they got to meet with prisoners that were held in segregation for extended periods of time. And when I say extended, I'm not talking about an hour or two hours or a day or 14 days. I'm talking about over 30 days of being locked in solitary confinement. A lot of those um, inmates ended up suffering from severe cases of schizophrenia and had to be moved to the mental health ward or moved out of the prison entirely and be housed in a mental health facility. So this, uh, the, some of the practices that are going on behind these, behind these walls really need to be questioned. Um, there was also an article in the Halifax Examiner which spoke about uh, Canada's prisons and the, how they're filled with despair hopelessness and institutional racism. So once again, they talk about the fact that racism is built into the social fabric of the system. It's institutionally infused, you know. But we haven't actually talked about what is the prison industrial complex. So let me just break that down. This is um, off of prisonabolition.org. Um, so the prison industrial complex is a term used to describe the overlapping interest of government and industry that uses surveillance policing, and imprisonment as solutions to economic, social, and political problems. The prison industrial complex is not just prisons themselves. It's mutually reinforcing, it's a mutu it is mutually reinforcing web of relationships between and not limited to, for example, prisons, the probation services, the police, the courts, all the companies that profit from transporting, feeding, and exploiting prisoners, and so forth. So, so that, in as tight of a nutshell as I could put it, is a basic breakdown of what the prison industrial complex is. So it's not just the prison. It's not just the, the, the warden of the prison. It's not just the guards. This is also the lawyers. This also includes the, the companies that provide the food to the prisoners. Everybody that ends up getting a kickback check because of prisoners being locked up, and the practice of recidivism. So the term recidivism, it's reinstituting a person so that the, the practice of locking someone up and releasing them only to be locked up again, that, that's recidivism. When you see a youth get locked up um, and then released only to find out that they've been locked up again for similar charges, um, and that just becomes the ongoing routine of the rest of their life. They, they get released, they get locked back up. So if, if our social fabric isn't building a safe way to break that practice of recidivism, then the prison industrial complex will remain strong and will continue feeding our children to these prisons, which is, I'm pretty sure, as a parent, is not something that we're trying to be doing. Um, another reason why these prison industrial complexes are up and running and strong is because they started privatizing prisons. That's a lucrative business. It's like war. 
you know. Think about this. Um, those people who understand the inner workings of how to get money from the government and from um, eco-friendly organizations, they build the prisons to suit those needs so that they can be awarded for having um, an exemplary institution to house inmates. So you're using people as a commodity. Lives are being traded for financial gain. Prison industrial complex. You guys do your research. Check it out because it's worth taking a look into and seeing how you can be a part of that solution instead of maintaining it. Or maybe I should ask, will it ever be ended? Now, can we get a motherfucking moment of silence for this small chronic break? <laughs> All right, Joe. So call in or message me and let me know. How do you like your cannabis? Do you like it shaken, not stirred? <laughs> but really, um, this is just a light topic. Since we've covered some really heavy subjects for the last couple of segments, I thought, like, maybe we should just kick back, burn a spliff, and just talk. So, me personally, I'm a backwards man. I've been on backwards since I was in grade 10. Religiously smoked only backwards until I moved to Calgary. So that was like, maybe like 10 years, 12 years. Actually, no. It was probably closer to 20 years. And uh, when I moved to Calgary, um, I got into some serious bong life. So for about two years, after kicking my backwards um, habits, just chiefing on some bongs, taking some bong rips, and smoking an occasional blunt, and an occasional dab here or there, but now I find I like burning spliffs. I like the feeling of holding a nicely rolled bat between my fingers, you know, and just blowing O's like I'm puffing on a cigar. Yeah. Like this. And I still have a rig, you know. And I still, on occasion, buy a pack of backwards. But paper planes, right now, are my preference. What's yours? Phone in, drop me a message, uh, send me a text on Instagram, on Facebook. Let me know. How do you consume your cannabis? And that's it. Thanks for listening to today's podcast number 13. Keep tuning for more interviews, good music, and great discussions. If you have a topic that you want to hear about, then message me on Instagram at Snapologus. That's S-N-A-P-A-L-O-T-A-G-U-S. Or on Facebook at Steady Snapping Charlie. Keep following me on my travels and feel free to take me on some of your travels as well. These podcasts can be downloaded and saved on your device. So stock up on episodes for road trips to help you pass the time. I'm your host, Steady Snapping Charlie, and this is Steady Chatting, the podcast. <laughs>